Hey everyone, this is episode two of season two, which I'm so excited about. My name is Matt Kamen. I am the co-founder of Envision Consulting and you're just wonderful, amazing host of Nonprofit on the Rocks. And joining me today is Ashley Watterson, our, as we talked about last time, our fledgling producer who, I mean, what do you think, Ashley? Have we gotten to season two, episode two, and you doing better? I would just like to say that on this particular episode, it was amazing, by the way, but there were so many edits. I'm going to throw it back to when you interviewed my husband, Mark, and he told you that we got 18 years of parenting in the year of COVID. I got like eight years of production experience just on editing this episode alone. So yeah, I've like moved beyond fledgling. I'm full on. What's the I word that we were working on that went from iffy? I'm not incredible yet, but I no, think- No, 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 no. <laughs> we're definitely not going to call you incredible. That's for sure. Oh, I'm yeah. a long way from that, but I am getting better. I mean, a long way from incredible. Well, so I think what we decided was the hashtag for this show is toddler life. Yeah. It's hard for me to say, because thankfully I don't have kids, but that's because our friend Kim, who we interviewed, literally her kid was in the room for the entire time. Just wouldn't leave. And her good-for-nothing husband just never took him away. And our apologies to the listeners of this show. You are going to hear the kid a lot, but I think what we talked about was that this is just a reminder when we are no longer in COVID, this is the way life was. Totally. And it was so interesting listening to the audio because I just kept trying to imagine the scene. Like, was this... Was this child like building a set of bookshelves in the background, like working on his rap album? I couldn't, you know, there was a, there was a lot, a lot to, to try to, to conjure. No, there was. And we talked about things that were like farting in West Hollywood in the, in the dance floor and like the things that went on in bathrooms in the bars. Like it was, we took it there on this episode. We took it there. You really did. So it's a good thing that this kid was only two (laughs) and not any older so that he was not absorbing some of your conversation. Now, you guys, you guys definitely ran the gamut of of conversation topics on this one, which makes it super entertaining to hear. Yeah, it was good. So Kim Peterson, who works at Aviva Family and Children's Services, is all about change management and impact in the nonprofit space, which we don't usually talk about in nonprofit. So she is all about always doing things better, always thinking about how we can make a bigger impact, always talking about, hey, how do we just do this in a smarter way? We, how do we serve more people? How do we do it better? And it's got to be really annoying as a coworker, but also just so impressive that she can do that. So Ashley, any final word of advice? Just that Kim, again, so agree with you. She's so impressive. I think her title's made up. I think she just like walked in and said, this is what I'm doing. This is my title. I think they would just give her whatever she wanted because she's worth it. So yeah. good she's for awesome. her. She she's is awesome. a badass. She is a true Perfect. badass. So just a reminder to everyone that we want you to please subscribe if you haven't already to our podcast and leave us comments, hopefully positive. And you can find us on our website at envisionnonprofit.com or wherever you get your podcast. Hello, Kim Peterson. How are you? Today I am good. Not great. It's COVID. The answer is just it's fucking COVID. Yeah. Enough. It's enough. Um, <laughs> that's the way to start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the happy hour before we do anything. So what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a gin and tonic. Oh, I do like a good gin and tonic. What kind of gin? Uh, Nolette. Mm, and Beaver Tree. 
Do you know that I just had a beaver tree the other day? It was pink. Oh, yeah. It was so good. Whatever the grapefruit was, one? I don't know what it was, but it was so good. So I need, and I was, I was at a restaurant. I'm sorry to say I went out. I actually went out to a restaurant. It was awesome. And they served me like the most amazing gin and tonic. And it was with the pink. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, anyway, cheers to you. Cheers to you. Happy, happy, happy blah day during COVID. <laughs> Love it. it. It's just, I, it's funny because anytime that, I talk to people, I always say like, how are you? And then I think to myself, why are you even asking that question? Because everybody's the same, crappy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you, so you and I have never met before. We've only chatted for like three minutes. Somebody said, somebody said, you guys need to do a podcast together. So like, I mean. Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I ask you good questions. And uh, I know the one thing we were talking about was that you have a 21 month old and how neat my house is because I don't have children. So I always feel so bad for all my friends who have a, you know, 19,000 kids at home and they can't do anything they want to do. Yes, yes, yes. I, well, I will say this. I often fantasize about what my pandemic life would be like without the kid (laughs) and it would be very dangerous. So he like keeps me kind of on the straight and narrow. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me, tell me, what would your pandemic life be like without, without a child in your house? I mean, I'm hoping you'd still be married, but at this point, who knows? (laughs) Possibly. I, I just feel like the excess would be very present in food and drink and, and everything. Like I would I would just get excessive in healthy ways too. Like I would excessively exercise, but then I would eat like 5,000 calories as well. So I think people say or maybe said at the beginning that they would excessively exercise. But like, I don't know anybody right now that is like people who I know who like had like that, like, you know, dry January totally failed on the third day. Like, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's a resurgence right now. Like all of my friends and colleagues are like, okay, we're a year in and like, we have our, our COVID-19, our COVID-19 pounds and like, we're done. We need to (laughs) shape up. So we'll see how long it lasts. I, I have my COVID-19 booze and I, I do joke about it and I know people get offended by it, but really, I mean, I can't go a day. I can't go a day. So it, and just so everybody knows, it is 4.39 and you and I are drinking. So I'm calling you out. I'm totally calling you out. Like it's not five <laughs> o'clock and you were ready. Like you showed up ready. So I think you're at least a, a glass in. Let's just. I never say no to a cocktail. <laughs> Well, on that note, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, we, I want to just tell you, I'm proud of us, Kim. I really am. We have like picked up listeners. We are like, I feel like we had our last podcast, I think had like 500 listeners. So like, wow. not bad, right? That's Congratulations. Not that's bad. awesome. Doesn't mean that that's what's going to be on this show. And it doesn't mean that it's ever going to continue. But like, I want to go to a thousand. So let's hope that you and I somehow can bring us to a thousand. I don't know what we're going to talk about, though. That would be so amazing. But you. Just you. I mean, if you ever need like a co-host for any of your future podcasts, mm-hmm. I might, I might be able to find some time for that. Just, you know, just gently putting that out there right now. First of all, those are some fighting words for Ashley. <laughs> going to like it. She's not going to like it. Or maybe she will. I don't know. Maybe she wants to be done. And what I hear, what I hear you saying is that um, you're going to take over to make the show better because I'm afraid of my job. That's what I hear you saying. No, what you should be hearing is that like, I'm so charmed by you that I just want to spend more time with you and like rule the podcast world. 
I think that's such a crock of shit, but I love everything <laughs> about it. So fine, done. We, I want to rule the podcast world because I just want to get some free stuff. I that's don't podcast hosts get some free stuff every once in a while? Like every oh, once in a while. they do. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. I did tell you this in our three minute conversation, Please. and one of my my current favorite ones. They have so many sponsors, and then. Their sponsors give them so much stuff that they give their guests and listeners stuff as well. Wow. So th- that's goals. Wow. Those are hashtag goals. So, mm-hmm. so that means that if, well, then what that means is you chose to join this real, real early, because if you had just come a little bit in the future, if I get some free stuff, I'd have given it to you. So I just feel like you need a sexy woman co-host to uh, really get those sponsors <laughs> going for you. Again, again, Ashley's going to be so pissed. I mean, I can hear her because you know she I don't know this Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> she knows you. She sees you now. She sees you now. That's amazing. All right, Ashley. All right, your days are numbered. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So when you and I did have our three minute uh, talk, I feel like you were wasn't there like, and mind you, my COVID brain, but wasn't there like a car that was broken down? Your <sighs> something he wasn't supposed to do, and you were so mad at that guy, right? Am I making that up? No, you were like incredibly astute about my emotional state solely based on my voice. Very impressive. Yeah, I, I was trying to get to work because I go and I actually leave my house one time a week to go to work and my car battery was dead and I had to drive my husband's really disgusting, gross, the, nobody should, humans should not be in his car car. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was in a, a bit of a state when we first talked. That's right. Because this is what happened. This is what happened. So I picked up, you picked up the phone and I was like, hi, Kim. And then you were like, <laughs> I'm, that's exactly what it was. That's what it was. And it didn't take anybody astute to hear that. That was like the loudest sigh. And that was actually, that was the first thing that I heard from you ever in our relationship was this. <laughs> I'm not. Like that was what it was. That's what it was. It was because you were driving. That's right. I totally remember that. I remember that. That was awesome. Well, <laughs> 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 Oh, that's right. All right. All right. Well, let's, let's make today a better day for all of us. And hopefully if you're, what's your husband's name? Jesse. Jesse, Jesse, you better cleaned up your car, Jesse. And he did not. Okay. Well, you better do something. You better do something for your wife. My car's working now. So that's, That's, did he do, it was Valentine's day just a few days ago. So Mm -hmm. you guys do anything fun? The answer to that is no, because I cannot remember. Like, I'm like, what did we do on Valentine's Day? Uh, that was four days ago. I, like, pandemic brain, pandemic brain. <laughs> Give me a break. Pandemic brain, work from home mom. Mm-hmm. And I get double. Mm-hmm. What did we do? Oh, I made him, because I am a wonderful human. I made him homemade peanut butter cups and chocolate covered strawberries. Homemade pe- like like Reese's pe- like uh like Reese's pieces kind of wow. Well, and- Reese's yeah, peanut butter well, cups. But the peanut butter cups. And yeah. then strawberries dipped in chocolate. That sounds dangerous. Don't you don't want to make another baby right now. So not <laughs> <laughs> No, I do not. <laughs> did he do anything for you? Like did he buy you anything, give you a card, anything at all? No. All right. No. Well, and he didn't even clean his car. I I'm gonna after this, I'm gonna come over and he and I are gonna have some words because please, I can please. tell. You're going to take Ashley down and you're taking over. <laughs> what did you, what did you and your husband do? I should never have asked you that question because I knew you were going to turn around. So like my husband generally, 
doesn't really like me to buy him things because he's never really happy with anything that I buy him. And so I figured, what's well, Valentine's Day? And he doesn't care about Valentine's Day. So I woke up and <laughs> he had actually gotten me some cologne because there's so many places to wear cologne to right now. But <laughs> Was he but, sending you a subtle message, Matt? I'm going to be honest with you, Kim. I haven't worn deodorant in like over a year. So same. Same as yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't smell either. I just smell my, I just smell myself. Have you shaved at least? Yes, I have. But I, I like, even though we're not together, I actually did put deodorant on oh. for you. I put on a t-shirt instead of a hoodie okay. and I put on a little makeup for you, Matt. I did that for you. I was going to say, you just seem happier today. I want you to know that I am wearing a polo, so I am somewhat dressed up, and I'm wearing jeans. I am wearing pants today. I don't usually do that, so for you. I have sweatpants on, though. I do have sweatpants. You know, people can't see it, but they match. Yeah, they're the little birds. I like it. I like Mm -hmm. it. All right. Well, so you and I are kindred spirits, no deodorant. You did do something for your husband, though, and I did not. So I feel bad about that. Can I just be honest? I normally don't. Like, you know, like the five languages of love, that that whole premise. Should I? I should, right? I should. Eh. I should. Some people, how they show love is by giving gifts. I am not one of those people. I'm like an acts of service. Like I like to, to take care or cook or perform, give you a massage, something like that. I don't, gifts are like, eh. You're not my sign of love. So what was the last thing that you did for, I mean, aside from cooking, the last thing that you did for your husband that was like, that you're proud of that you did for him? I know it's unfair. It's such an unfair question in COVID. It really is. I, know, I, know I feel is. like every day, you know, I, I walk into every day with this mentality. So my husband's a musician, ergo the, the musical instruments in my background. He is not working because he's a musician. <laughs> Um, so uh, you go to work is a gift to him that's basically you get a paycheck that's a gift to him but I am very like cognizant about how my job gives me some structure and sanity to this like ridiculous time that we're all in and that he doesn't have that and so you know I do think every morning like what's a way that I can help him and make his life a little bit easier or give him some joy today. So I try to do that. I'm like 50% successful at that. (laughs) That's really, really lovely of you. That's really sweet. I hope he knows you're waking up and thinking about ways to make him happier and better. 50%, 50%. Remember. (laughs) I'm going to tell you that's 50% better than I do. I say every year, like, I want to be a better person. I want to be a better provider. I want to be a better husband to my, to my husband, but you ask him. He's unhappy. I'm waiting for that pillow to suffocate me. Just one day. It's going to one day. I'm going to wake up. There's a pillow coming at my face. So you're not going to have that. You'll probably do it the other way around. No, I really like I'm, you know, I'm giving you the rosy side because I'm talking to you and he's not. So <laughs> I, I really I feel like he would give a very different picture. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I know who I am. <laughs> I'm a little selfish. Just a little. I will move on because I feel always bad when, when we talk shit about our, our spouses, our partners, whatever, and they're not there to, the, to defend themselves. But like, we know, we see, we know. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about nonprofit because that's the show, Nonprofit on the Rocks. Right, right, and yes. What you do, which I think is so interesting, and I don't know what it means, and I feel like so our listeners are going to learn something. So you are officially the vice president of change management mm-hmm. at an organization that I adore, Aviva Family and Children's Services in Hollywood. So change management. I love everything about that. What does that mean? What should people know? What do you do on a daily basis? 
So I have two answers to this question. My first answer is I get shit done. Mm. Like that's kind of the bottom line is just to get shit done. Um, <laughs> but if, if you want me to dive into that a little bit more, a little bit. One easy way to describe my job is that any strategic initiative that Aviva is embracing, I bring to fruition uh, by facilitating and overseeing and making sure that it is successful. But as we all know, <laughs> the world is full of lots of change. And certainly in the nonprofit industry, I think it's can be really challenging to navigate change because we live in a resource deficit. The resource deficit, because I want to make sure people understand what that means. Because we have a lot of, I think, lingo in nonprofit, nonprofit mm-hmm. world. Hope that people who are not a nonprofit listen to this. So resource deficit, what does that mean? To run a business, you need resources outside of whatever service you're providing. And that might be technological resources, um, support services, equipment. And in the nonprofit world, you know, there's this very lovely sentiment of allocating the majority of funding to the clients, which is, you know, one of the reasons that I'm part of the nonprofit world, but that leaves very little for the operations of the business. And it makes it very challenging. And so usually someone who's running a program in in my industry, the social services industry also has to take on a lot of operational um, administrative tasks also, which, you know, leads to burnout. Most people don't have the bandwidth to do that. Uh, we are a client serving company. And so that comes with its own, you know, vicarious traumatization, just to use more jargon. I started at Aviva as the director of quality improvement. So I was kind of overseeing our contract compliance and helping therapists complete the really fun paperwork that they have to do. But I love looking at ways to improve things, how to um, create better systems, how to just make the work environment a better place. And so our CEO, Regina Betty, had this idea to create this position where we had someone who could handle all the things that need to get done in a nonprofit that usually people don't have the bandwidth to do. So um, I love my job legitimately love my job because it's never boring. Like, you know, I just get to find new ways to do things every day and I get to do new projects all the time, which is also sometimes crazy making, let me be honest. (laughs) I get to assess and improve and try and get things done. So I love that. Nonprofits are not known for being innovative. And and I read a book somewhere, which I thought was really interesting, that if nonprofits ruled the world, we would still be using typewriters. But the nonprofit industry as a whole, in terms of innovation, in terms of doing things the way we should, what do you give us? What grade? D. So D. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so give me, what industry would you give an A? Mm, I, don't, I, I don't feel like I can answer that question as I'm only in one industry right now. (laughs) Um, So there's that. I mean, I think there's the obvious answer, which is like anything techie, like they're always innovating. I think they're on the other extreme. What was that show on on Netflix that was like how technology just ruins our life? It's Social Media Dilemma. Well, you should not watch that. It's a horrible (laughs) show. You don't need to know it because you're going to want to throw away your phone after that. Okay. So if the nonprofit space gets a D, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we as the nonprofit world, not Aviva, but all nonprofit, how do we at least move to a C? I mean, like, how do we do? Well, you know, I think that's an interesting question because 
when I was younger, I would hear these stories about like UNICEF or, you know, I, I honestly can't remember the name of the nonprofits that were trying to feed the world at various times. And then there would be these big scandals where it was like, you're giving a dollar, but 50% of that dollar isn't even going to the the people. It's it's going to the administration. And I was like, that's ridiculous, you know, and <laughs> we, I want all of my money to go to the people. And then you actually work in the industry and you go, oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things need to operate on a day-to-day basis too. Pay for electricity. I think people are very comfortable in a for-profit world knowing that you need money to be allocated to resources, but I don't understand what the culture is about the nonprofit world. And I, I understand that wanting to put the client, the patient, the yeah. customer first in the nonprofit world, a hundred percent. And I think they're probably needs to be some parameters in general. You don't want 95% of your dollar going to overhead, but that just being realistic about what it takes to run a business. And I think that nonprofits have operated this way for so long. And this is the way like funding structures are set up with contracts, with donors, with foundations, like this is just the norm and it needs to be shooken up. Like someone needs to say, like, let's look at a for-profit business and how they allocate resources. I, I think if you tie it to the impact that you create on the community overall, to say, like, if we allocate a little bit more to the operations and to our resources, we can have a greater impact and improve outcomes for people's lives. And I think there are some nonprofits that are doing that, but I think as a sector, as a whole, we're not doing that. Yeah. And I I think there are some people who are really trying to push it, like just the nature of the way you have to apply for grants and for any money is very structured to maintain that structure and system. You know, what I think is really interesting is I think a lot of people think of nonprofits as like the full volunteer thing where people aren't like professional or like they're not getting paid the way they should or whatever it is. And like for people to understand, like a hospital, for example, usually is a nonprofit. So, you know, you've got folks running hospitals that are making millions of dollars. It's a nonprofit. It has to save lives. And then you have homeless shelters, for example, that also are saving lives and you need to pay for that overhead and pay for that staff. But it's the innovation that matters. And so it's really interesting to me, your position, because I will tell you, um, you're the first person on this podcast who has your position. You're the first person who I've interviewed who is not either like in development or being an executive director. And so I'm really curious, like, what made you decide to do this? Most nonprofits don't even have this position because they can't afford it, you know? So much less even think about how to do things better. So change management is so much fun because you're right. Like you're doing something different every day. What in the world made you like, yes, I want to get into nonprofit. And not only that, I want to make it run better. And I want to make it run smoother. And I, you know what I mean? Like, how did that happen? So I was born that way, unfortunately, fortunately. When I think about my life and how I got here, because it was not the direction that I thought I was going to take. I thought I was going to be a dancer, writer, doctor. Oh, that's totally different. A dancer, wait, hold on. I'm sorry, I need to back up. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. It took me a minute. A dancer or a writer or a doctor. Already, those are three different things anyway. So, yeah, I was going to be all three of them. Of course. To be clear, yeah. Of course. What kind of doctor? Well, originally I wanted to do neurology, but then it switched to pediatrician at some point. Mm. And then you want. And then clearly didn't manifest. (laughs) (laughs) Do you dance at least? I do every day. Fine. So, are you good? I used to be better. This (laughs) pandemic really slows me down. 
So like if we were to go to a club, and oh. whenever the hell that can happen again. And by the way, I'm too old to go to a club, but my ass is going to a club. I don't care about those young people. I'm going. Same. What uh, what music makes you like happy to dance to? Oh gosh, that is a good question. I love '90s music in general. So okay. like for dancing, any '90s like hip hop or R and B is is my jam. Give me like your song right now that pops. Oh, your- like Aaliyah. Aaliyah is a great artist. That's super fun to dance to, Missy Elliott. Like that genre of music. I don't know what I tell people anymore. So I don't know how old I am to be honest, but like I came out in the nineties. And so when you come out, like all you, you like roar out of the closet. So I would go out every night to West Hollywood. Oh God, I miss those days. Just like having a good time and dancing with friends and just making out with random people. I'm going to guess that we may have met in the past because I spent pretty much 2001 and till 2010 in West Hollywood Hmm. dancing my butt off. I just, I just, I need everybody. I feel like we must have crossed I mean, I'm, I'm 10 years older than you. So, because uh, 2000. You know that? In 2001, like, I was, like, basically married at that point. Like, but again, I don't know how old I am. I'm 28. So. <laughs> so we like, crossed paths, let's just say. <laughs> there you were, shoulder to shoulder. Two years ago, I was going out, right? We're going to do it again. I want to sidebar with you quickly about this, this subject. Let's sidebar. So. We decided like three years ago, so pre-pandemic, that we were going to reignite our West Hollywood dance club days, me and a group of friends for another friend's birthday. We went out to a lovely restaurant, had a lovely dinner, walked down to the club. So first of all, there was a line and then immediately we we're like, I'm, I'm too old to wait in line. We did it because we were determined and we get in and it's, you know, it's West Hollywood. It's, it's fantastic. It's sweaty and sticky and crowded and we're just like oh <laughs> and like the fight to the bar you know and then we get to the bar and we order the drinks and we get plastic cups and we're like plastic cups yeah. and then just trying to find a space to dance and then we're just like I think we're good we're just gonna we're gonna leave now yeah no I know I know that's what's so upsetting about getting older is you don't want to first of all you don't want to wait in line and I don't I just walked like the last time I went out I just walked to the front I was like I'm too old for this shit and the guy was like you're right and he let me in seriously that's exactly what happened yes. not even lying <laughs> And getting to the bar is just such a pain. And yes, there's a ton of sweaty and gross and people all around. And then, by the way, there's always that one person who farts on the dance floor. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, like, yeah, totally. On the dance floor and you're having a really good time. And then all of a sudden your eyes start to water before you mm-hmm. know what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know who that person is. And I don't know why they can't just hold it in like the rest of us can. But that always <laughs> happens, right? Like there's always that one person. And then everybody's like, and then everybody's afraid they're going to think people are going to think it's you. So oh, like, yeah. like you like, then you have to be like, <laughs> make like a big show that it's not you. It's not you. Right. But anyway, so I want everybody to like, not think of those memories, but really think about like the last time that you had a good time at a club, mm-hmm. just dancing and letting loose and how many drinks or drugs that you were on to make that happen. I just want you to know, Kim, that as soon as we can, you and I, and we're going to obviously push Ashley aside. So Ashley will no longer be in my life. <laughs> You and I will just go and have a really good time at one of the bars in West Hollywood. Uh, I can't wait. And we're not going to wait in line. And we're just going to push everybody out of the way on the dance floor. It's happening. It's happening. Pinky swear. Pinky okay. swear. So Ready. we totally sidebarred. And I don't know how we're going to get back to where we were. Or <laughs> if 
who are listening even remember where we were, but Ashley's like, just going to cut it out. It's just Ashley's not cut it out. It's going to be a private no, no, no. moment. Ashley's not, to, Ashley's not allowed to cut that out because I want people to just remember those good times and the fart on the dance floor. <laughs> uh, that was always part of it. And the line for the bathroom. Oh, that was the other one. The line for the bathroom was always, and then you walked in and there were things happening in that bathroom. Always things happening in that bathroom. Right. There were so many things happening. Oh right. my God. Most, all those bathrooms. The stories. That's for another podcast. That's for so maybe, okay, podcast. wait, maybe I don't need to take Ashley's job. Maybe we just need to have a different podcast with a different subject matter. Could the podcast be like about bathrooms and in like bathrooms? Is that where like- West bath- Hollywood bathrooms. <laughs> that is, by the way, that's the book. I just want to say there are stories. In there, there. Are, <laughs> there are. There are many stories. Again, for our, our other podcast. For another day. All right, for another day. So let's go back to the topic. <laughs> The topic at hand of change yes. management. Oh, yeah. So I was saying I thought I was going to be a doctor, dancer, um, writer. And clearly that didn't manifest the way I envisioned. I think that what was important to me about being in the helping profession was giving a voice to people who didn't have a voice. And for me, um, at the time when I was first considering my career, that was children. And just feeling that like anyone pretty much under 18 in my book at the time they were taken for granted that they, they didn't have a voice in the world that, you know, they were minimized and just wanting to uplift that and, and make their voices heard. And then as I've lived in the world, realizing that's pretty much everybody or a significant portion of people, like, you know, just not feeling heard and wanting to give people a space to be heard. And so I found psychology and I thought that was the, the, the field that I was going to go into and be a therapist and, you know, change lives. And that is one route. And for all of my friends and colleagues that are therapists, like kudos to you for doing that really tough work. But for me, it didn't fit. I needed to make my impact in a different way. And so I was saying that I've been doing this my whole life because I feel like I've been trying to improve things my whole life. Um, My parents, my younger brother, and now my husband will tell you that that's a hundred percent true. Like I'm always trying but there's a better way to do this, um, which, you know. So that must be also a little bit annoying because it can always, because for you, not even for them, but it can always be better. There are yeah. always to do something better. There's always a better, I don't know. There's always, I'm looking at my fruit bowl, sorry. So, you know, there's always a better pair to pick at the supermarket. I mean, there's always just something better. So how do you, how do you, man, how do you deal with that? Like, yeah, I think that like, I'm, I, I think it's a lot of work. Like I, you know, I do definitely have to work on that constantly. And I, I, I meditate and I, you know, try and like stay present and do all of those things, which are really uncomfortable and hard for me um, because I always want to go and change and move and, and do all the things and just being like, this is good enough for right now. Okay. And like giving my permit myself permission to be comfortable with where things are. And also just like, knowing the pace of things. And I think that's important in this sector and just in the world in general. Like I tend to just, like I said, want to do things all the time, but that's not where everybody's at. And I'm a human in the world that has to relate to other humans. And so I need to acknowledge that they might not want to change everything all the time. Like I do. Tell me the last thing that you told your husband that you needed to change, that he was like, rolled his eyes over and was like, come on. This bookshelf, I just moved it two days ago behind me. That bookshelf is amazing, by the way. <laughs> Nobody can see it, but I can. And it's awesome. And he was, it, like, he was like, come on, Kim. Well, no, this is what happened. It was in our bedroom. And I was like, uh, I need it behind me. I need plants. I need something behind me. It was, it was a little bit 
boring behind um, me before and with all these zooms, I was very conscious of it. And so I did it while he was gone and I came home. I was like, did you notice? I moved the bookshelf. He was like, huh? I was like, I moved the bookshelf. Look at how awesome it is. It's such a lovely space now. And he was like, he's so used to it now. If you hadn't have told him you moved it, how long would it have taken him? How long? Weeks. Oh, weeks, weeks. So, and I know, I don't know what our time is, but can I tell you a funny story? I mean, I would love a funny story. I mean, I don't know if it's funny. It's a story. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you at the end if I laugh or don't laugh. Okay. So when we first started dating in 2007, I was uh, flat ironing my hair. I have very curly hair. You can't really tell, but I have very curly hair. I was flat ironing it. I was in the straight hair world then. And like probably for the first three months that we were dating. And then I stopped because it's a fucking pain in the ass and it damages your hair. (laughs) And then like, Fast forward nine months into it, I was like, oh, I'm going to go get a haircut and I'm going to have her flat iron my hair so it'll be straight uh, when I come home. And he goes, I've never seen your hair straight. That's amazing. That's great. I love everything about that. Yeah, that's that's every husband. They don't they don't pay attention. They don't see back to you. So moving the bookshelf, always looking for new things, you having to just finally deal with it. So talk to me about nonprofit. How do you live in the world of nonprofit when we both know there's only so much that we could do? There's only so much money we have to change things and make them better. Well, cocktails is one way <laughs> that I manage. It is frustrating. You know, the, the, the pace of change in nonprofits is, is frustrating for me. But I can speak about Aviva. Uh, my team and my boss, the CEO, they're so incredibly supportive. They're so used to me being like, how about if we do something this way? And Regina's really good at giving me some parameters on that and just pacing me. And then I'm also kind of an asshole. Like I I will push when I really believe in it. So what's one of the wins that you are so proud of that you were able to push until finally you got your way? Aviva has very informally always supported EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion. It's been a very informal but integral part of who we are as an agency. I have wanted to make it formal for so long and I pushed and pushed and pushed and got my way. So we have a committee, we were doing things about voting, making sure people were feeling safe. We're definitely in the infancy stage of it right now, but you know, we service 80% black and brown clients. The same with our staff, we're about 70% people of color and that we weren't making it a formal component of the work that we do. And again, back to that sort of resource management, it's that this is something that's so integral for, in my opinion, every business, but putting the resource and the time into that is challenging and being able to understand what that impact could have on a greater level to your employee retention, to your client outreach, to your just your service in general and your client outcomes really came to fruition last year. We've gone into a different topic, but I do think it's really important. So you say EDI, I say DEI, which is all these acronyms and nonprofit, but it's all at the end of the day, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And diversity, equity, and inclusion isn't just a nonprofit thing. It's a for-profit thing. It's a world thing. It's a daily thing. It doesn't matter if you're at work or you're at home or at the supermarket. DEI is everywhere, right? So Mm -hmm. I would love to know if anybody listening is working at a nonprofit, 
is working at a for-profit and they say, I want to bring some kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion policy to my work. What does that mean? What would be like a DEI 101, you can bring this to your work? So I wouldn't say policy because I think policies are pieces of paper that live in a file that people forget about. So I think that's an important thing. I think lots of places have policies, (laughs) but practice is the part that matters. And I, I understand that I am one of the leaders at my agency, so I have a seat at the table to make change. Whereas if you're a case manager, you might not feel like you have that same power, but you do. And so I think that your listeners cannot see me. I am a woman of color. (laughs) So that I think is a relevant part of who I am. And as a woman of color, I've navigated this space differently than people who are white. Uh, But for me, I know that in any stage of my career, speaking up against injustice has been incredibly important to me. And I've never been afraid to do that. I'm not a trust fund kid, so I don't have like a backup (laughs) if I lose my job, Um, but it's that important to me. So I think that people should know that that's kind of where it starts is that when you see something happening, that you speak up about it um, and find resources to support you, find your, your fellow EDI, DEI champions that can support you when you see something that is not okay at your agency. I think that's the easiest place to start. And then speaking more globally is um, making sure that the leadership is on board with that because they set the culture of the agency at the end of the day. So let's say that I am a checker, like a a checkout person at a supermarket. And I want to know that my supermarket has some kind of of practice. I understand policy is the wrong word. Some kind of practice in place, in writing that I can actually see and that they're working on it. What does that, how do I do that? Do I go to HR? Like, how do I, how do I know that my, my place of work is actually doing something? Yeah. Um, So certainly just asking first, because they might have something that you're not aware of um, because it isn't part of the practice. It is just a policy. And I would say to someone who is like a checker, like whoever your supervisor is, is the the obvious person to start with. And just saying like, this is important to me. I work in an industry where we have diversity come through my line all the time. And I notice some of my fellow checkers maybe don't bag the items of this person as well as they bag or, you know, check the items of the other person and push. If you believe in something and these are things that are human rights, then push for them. If your agency doesn't have a policy. If you're the checker, if you're the bagger, if you're the person mopping the floor, don't be afraid to suggest or even find one on the internet or contact me and I'll write one for you. <laughs> like, Just push for it. So in the nonprofit space, what I think most executive directors don't do is they don't train all of their staff on what it means to read a budget and what it means mm-hmm. to understand how nonprofits are funded. Understand how decisions are made, right? And so a lot of executive directors will say, well, my line staff, and so the line staff would be like at a homeless shelter, those would be the folks that are working directly with the kids. So for example, that they would say, I don't think that my line staff need to or should understand the budget. I disagree. I think when we're talking about equity and we're talking about, you know, at the end of the day, you want to move people up, that training your staff, whether it's line staff, middle management, senior management, they should all understand the budget. 
even if you don't think that it matters, they should understand the budget. And that's one of the things that drives me the most crazy about the nonprofit space is that we don't train our staff. And if we believe in equity and we believe in that and inclusion, in order to move people up, you got to train them. You just have to, and you can't take them for granted. So that is one of those things that I really believe in personally. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And as someone who like, sometimes when our CFO talks, my eyes cross because (laughs) I'm like, oh, budgets, numbers, revenue. There's many things I appreciate uh, about being part of the Aviva team, but that is definitely one of them. So like I mentioned, I came in as the director of QI, but I know that it's been an important initiative of the agency to make sure that one, we're knowledgeable about the budget, like as an agency, and then certainly for their specific department, and that that information was trickled down to all staff, that it wasn't just kept at this sort of like upper executive level and how the service that our case managers do impact our revenue and our cost and our bottom line. And so we have this process at Aviva where there's a group of senior leaders that review our budgets and our data and all of the key performance indicators that we're, we're, we're looking at as an agency. And then that information is trickled down to all of our staff on a regular basis. And so there's, you know, different levels of understanding, but we encourage anyone that wants more information and has the time and bandwidth to have that information to be a part of the leadership meetings. And I love that about Aviva. Yeah, I think that's really important. Okay. So when we're talking about, let's say the nonprofit space and change management, just to go back to your title and how you got to what you're doing, I'm working at a nonprofit. I am a college grad who's really annoying because I just graduated college and I think I know better than everybody else. Anyway, so I, I got a job at a nonprofit. First of all, I want to learn about the budget. So I'm already annoying because I'm going to bother my, my supervisor about that. But okay, how do I make sure that my nonprofit is doing everything it can be doing in the best way possible? So your job. So I want to be you. How do I gauge where my nonprofit is? How do I gauge what it's doing and what could be done better? You know, how do I gauge where things can really be focused on, especially knowing that resources are very max, like very few of us have any money to do that, but what do I do? So I think that you ask a lot of questions. I I, I feel like people who are in leadership roles want staff to ask them questions and staff generally do not um, for various reasons. And so I think that if it's your controller, your senior accountant, your CFO, just say like, hey, I'd like to learn more about our budget. Do you have an hour? You know, it's like what they say about finding a mentor. I'll buy you coffee if you can spend an hour of time with me. Just asking questions. I know that I would be really interested to see how my former supervisors describe me, but I ask a lot of questions. I want to know a lot of things, even if they're outside of my scope of job, just to understand, you know, the way operations work. And then same with other agencies. So you have something to compare to, like find allies, other whatever position or role you're in, find them at other agencies and, and compare information. You do have to do a lot of work on your own, but finding people. And I think no matter what the culture of your agency is or what position you're in, there's going to be someone who will align and ally with you and teach you and take you under their wing. And, and maybe they're going to tell you your agency's budget sucks and you could be doing all these awesome things. but not here, but then you'll learn it. You know, I mean, I think that there is something to be said about horrible supervisors I've had in my life. I've learned something from them too. 
lots and lots of questions and asking why things are done the way they are and how potentially we can do things better. Yeah. Do you ever want to be a CEO of a nonprofit? Yes. You do. So that's your next job. Yes. Although I will admit to you that like in the excessive pandemic pondering time that sometimes I have, I've been questioning that and just more like if I want to be a CEO of an agency similar to Aviva or out of Aviva one day, um, or if I want to be a consultant for agencies, I think for me, evaluating where I can have the greatest impact is super important. So let's say that we have a CEO of a nonprofit listening to this show. Could happen. Anything's possible. <laughs> and they haven't uh, tuned off already because we've been talking about farting on a dance floor. <laughs> what should they be doing as CEO? <laughs> be in West Hollywood. West Hollywood dancing. <laughs> be a go-go dancer. Yes. What doing if not a nonprofit? I don't know. I feel like I have like secret dream professions, like being a chef and owning a restaurant slash bar and my husband would play the music and I would design menus and yeah. make cocktails. I want, um, to go, I want to go to that restaurant, right? Now. What, <laughs> what's the food? What's the theme? What are you serving? Oh, God, I love food so much. I do believe in like seasonal cooking, like what's local, you know. I'm bored. I'm already bored. <laughs> <laughs> but my cocktails would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So if you weren't doing nonprofit, you'd be running a restaurant, even in this terrible time of COVID. Oh God. Yeah. COVID. I know. I'm sorry. I had to ruin it. I'm sorry. I had to ruin it. COVID just ruined it. Oh wait. Okay. So then my other, my other secret dream job is my animal like rescue farm where I take all the animals that nobody wants and, and love them and hug them. I like that. Okay. What gives you inspiration every day to, to stay in nonprofit? So right now, and if you asked me this two years ago, it'd be a different answer, but right now it's my son. Why does your son give you that inspiration to be a nonprofit? I, I never thought I would be a mother for a variety of reasons. It, it just was not of interest to me. And um, my husband and I made a decision to try. And luckily, the fertile gods were in my favor. <laughs> and then I was blessed with my son. I always felt an innate desire to improve things. But now it's just even so much more pressing to me because I am helping to create the world that he's going to live in. And then, you know, if he decides to have children, who knows, that his children will live in. And I want to create beautiful spaces for him. I want him to be in a place where he can do anything he wants to do and feels loved and supported and can change the world. And I know that that starts back with me. Lovely. That is. I mean, I, there are days that I, I don't have kids and there are days that I wake up and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing this for anymore. So... Well, and I will also add that, like, I'm doing it for the kid me that didn't feel heard and didn't feel noticed and had my own various trauma in life. And, and I'm doing it for little Kim, not the rapper. Not the rapper. <laughs> Would you please let everybody know what Aviva does? Yes. So Aviva Family and Children's Services, located in Hollywood, as Matt said at the beginning, has been around for over a hundred years, which in this town is crazy, amazing. And we offer four areas of service, uh, crisis intervention, mental health services, foster and adoptions. And then our newest program is supportive housing for women and children. So we offer a comprehensive range of services, including mental health 
and foster care and adoptions and housing. We are a medium-sized 160 employees that are so incredibly dedicated to the work that they do. It's been such an honor for me to be a part of this agency and to watch the way that we continuously adapt and change and transform to what's going on in the community, what's going on in the world, just certainly with, with COVID, how we were flexible and adaptable. And, you know, I've been at Aviva for seven years and I'm learning that staying at one place for seven years is not a norm and for a lot of people. And the reason why I'm there um, is because the amount of attention and care and thought that Aviva puts into our clients, but also into our employees is just so incredibly beautiful and important. And it just makes me happy to be a part of an agency that puts that much care and consideration um, into the work that we do. And I, I don't think all, all nonprofits do that. So they don't. And the fact that you are a VP of change management, and I will tell you, I will tell every listener out there that I don't actually know of any other nonprofit that has that position is a big deal. And so if you are listening and you are so inclined to make a donation or a credit card payment or whatever it is, Aviva Family and Children's Services located in Hollywood is a phenomenal organization that deserves your dollar or dollars. So, all right, Kim, I feel like I, I feel like I've asked you everything I should be asking you. Is there anything that I forgot? I mean, we've gone through, we've talked about so many different things, but is there anything that like Anything else that you want folks to know about nonprofit change management, quality of services, you know, farting um, or anything else that we should share? People in nonprofit talk about the paycheck a lot or the lack of paycheck, but that's not why you're in the job. It's, it's not for the paycheck. It's for the work, the mission and the community that you have. And I have very few friends in the nonprofit world. Most of my friends are in the for-profit world. And so when, especially in this past year, comparing stories about what it's been like to weather this pandemic have been night and day. The amount of support that I get from Aviva and my and my my colleagues and my agency, the amount of care and consideration that we try to put towards our employees and to our clients. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about the paycheck. So if you are considering moving into nonprofit and then you look at some of those salary ranges and go, oh, it's the feeling you get in your heart is more important at the end of the day. It's true. It's true. You should not get into nonprofit because you want to make money. It's not that you won't make money. You will make money. And there are some places that you make a lot of money, but you get into nonprofit because just like you said, we're making an impact. You're changing somebody's life for the better. You're saving somebody's life. And you don't get that in for-profit. You just don't. And even though I doubt I'm ever going to interview anybody else on this podcast who is a vice president of change management. I don't think, because I know that that doesn't exist. Or there will be a million positions with that title after this podcast. I really hope so. But I am just so impressed with what you do. I'm so impressed that you go to work every day looking to make things better. And I really respect what you do. So I appreciate you being on this show. Thank you very much for really being able to deal with all the the fun stuff that we talked about, but also bringing it back to why you do what you do and why people should listen to this and give and be part of nonprofit. So I thank you very much, Kim. Thank you, Matt. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So? I'm a little miffed after this episode. I feel like you and Kim threw a lot of shade on me in this episode. 
Like, first of all, Kim was talking about gunning for my job. He was. And then you guys were talking about like how I was going to be a killjoy if I came with you clubbing in West Hollywood. Like, I I mean, mean, let me ask you a question. Do you think you can dance? That's my question. Can you dance? Are you good? Or Or do you dance like every other white girl? Like, tell me the truth. That is a great question, Matt. I really and truly failed out of dance classes. Like this was just no good. I had two left feet in a lot of regards. And yet when it comes to the wedding dance floor, that is where I pull out the stops and it is all confidence. And that's all it is. It's just confidence. But no, you're probably right. In reality, I probably look something like Elaine from Seinfeld. (laughs) Best episode of Seinfeld is Elaine dancing. Okay. I take everything back that I talked to her about. If that is you, we're totally going dancing with you because you're going to just clear the dance floor and let us just take over. Oh my God, we're I'm, done. I'm going to clear the dance floor much like a fart as you <laughs> and Kim like to talk about. In this I'm embarrassed for the conversation and I, my apologies for Kim trying to take your job. Although do you blame her? How amazing is it to work with me on a regular basis? It must be the thing that you wake up for every day. It has to be. It's what I live for, Matt. <laughs> Some people say family. No, you're it. I know. You hashtag live. goals. Hashtag, hashtag goals. goals. Hashtag you live, eat, breathe, <laughs> Matt Kamen. And I am so sorry for you to do that. I know you have to listen to me all day long. So I apologize for that. So I am also very excited about our next episode with Mark Loringer, who is the CEO of Chrysalis, which is a phenomenal organ. I keep saying that, that every nonprofit's phenomenal. And I just want to be clear, not every nonprofit is phenomenal, but the ones that we're interviewing are, we'll say that Mark is the CEO of Chrysalis, which works with homeless adults and gets them jobs and gets them off the streets. It is an incredible nonprofit and he's very smart and I adore that guy. So he will be next. Any words of wisdom? If you all work for a phenomenal nonprofit or you know someone who does that you think would make a phenomenal guest for one of our upcoming shows, please contact us through our website, envisionnonprofit.com, and let us know. And let's not forget, as Kim reminded us, if anybody wants to produce this show, just call me. Just call me. I'm not going to. I'm cutting that out, Matt. I am editing that out. (laughs) How'd you hear me? I was whispering. You couldn't hear that. You don't know what I just said. And honestly, Ashley, let's totally be honest with our one listener or two that are left. You stop listening after a while when you produce these things. I mean, I've heard it. I've heard it. I was like, wait a second. How did that stay in there? You've literally stopped listening, right? The budget only accounts for me listening so much. So yeah, at some point it's just like, oh, time's up. How often do you just literally fall asleep on the job? Like, really? I mean, I know you're drinking along with us. Do you just like pass out? I mean, is that what it is? Just pass out. I'd be lying if I if I said it hasn't happened before. <laughs> well, I'm going to just call you out because Kim already called you out. There was literally an episode that I think the person I was interviewing said, oh, Ashley's going to cut that out right? Because I think I had a cough and I was like, shit, that's COVID. And so my friend was like, hey, Ashley's going to cut that out. Don't worry. But then guess what? Ashley did not cut that out. And it almost aired. Hashtag busted. (laughs) See, Matt, that's why we have you listen to the episode again. So we have an extra set of ears because Lord knows. Yeah, I can't be relied upon not to have fallen asleep through half these episodes. No, no. Which is why I said earlier, anybody out there wants to produce this show. On that note, Ashley, I do appreciate you suffering through these with me. 
And I very much look forward to having everybody learn more about Mark and Chrysalis. <laughs>